Are your customers the kind who politely come and go and sometimes leave you little hearts on social media? Or are they actually obsessed with what you do? The difference between an incredible brand and all the others is how they create fans. Welcome to the Brand to Fan Show, where we unpack the phenomenon of fandom and how to cultivate affinity, loyalty, and trust to build more fans so you can future-proof your business. Here's your host, Lauren Teague. Well, I'm convinced that the best fans of any business are built from the inside out. If your employees don't feel like they belong within your company, then what stories are they really telling outside? Employee advocacy certainly isn't a new concept for marketers or business leaders. And encouraging advocacy from the inside out has definitely been made easier with the mainstream adoption of social media at work. And now we're seeing this major shift in how employees are truly feeling about their work and their workplaces. And employees are now more empowered than ever and it's having huge impacts on the brands that they work for, even in the public eye. Today, we're going to unpack how culture influences fandom built from the inside out. So I've invited my pal, Joe Mole, to the Brand Fan Show. Joe is the author of the brand new book, Employalty, How to Ignite Commitment and Keep Top Talent in the New Age of Work. Joe is a dynamite speaker and an employee engagement expert, and he's the host of the Boss Better podcast. Joe, welcome to the Brand of Fan Show. Lauren, I am so excited to have this conversation with you. Thanks for having me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. You know, before we dive into employalty, I'm curious, is there a brand or person in your life that you have been a fan of, maybe starting when you were younger or maybe earlier in your career? And maybe that's evolved into a part of your own identity. Is there one that comes mm, to mind? Probably the first one that springs to mind is Disney. The, the brand of Disney plays a significant role in my life. And, and it really sort of started out uh, in, in high school when I got really into music and theater, right? And performing. And uh, then as I became a parent, right? Disney movies and whatnot uh, play a huge role in our lives. But ever since I was little, I always had this idea that I wanted to someday have a family and take them to Disney World. I never went to Disney World when I was a kid, but for as long as I can remember, this was a thing that I put up on a pedestal, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a family and I'm going to take them to Disney World. And I was actually able to do that for the first time a couple of years ago. And uh, we've gone back every couple of years since. So we are a, uh, we're a Disney family. Oh, that's so cool. I'm also... Think I've had that. I didn't get to go to Disney maybe once when I was growing up. And mm -hmm. for me, being able to, we did that this past year, about one year ago, took my kids to Disneyland for the first time. They were uh, at the time four, six, and eight. But we did it as a family, as kind of a reward for coming out of some a couple hard years and everybody kind of yeah. keeping in. And you're right, that putting that on a pedestal as kind of a goal certainly speaks to the impact of fandom. Of, of being so inspired by a brand and being loyal to a brand that you literally are choosing that as, you know, a place to, to share memories and build memories with your family. No question. And, and we, we talk a lot about how there's a specific kind of experience that we get at Disney that we don't feel like we get anywhere else. And so we look forward to that and we invest in that. Uh, and we get disappointed when that doesn't happen, right? So our Disney experiences aren't all 100% perfect, but we're still loyal to the brand because of the role that has played in our lives so far. Yeah. So your new book, Employalty, 
and I'm going to keep saying in that word because I practiced <laughs> it and practiced it and practiced it. Um, the book focuses on igniting commitment and retaining top talent in today's workplace. How did employalty come to be? Well, I have spent the better part of the last 20 years teaching leaders how to be better bosses and how to create the conditions at work for people to thrive. And as we were coming out of the pandemic, I kept hearing conversations that were misinformed about the challenges related to hiring, about what was happening at this moment in the labor market, and about what employees need or want nowadays in order to join an organization, stay long-term, and give it all they've got. So this book was really about me marrying together all the work I've done for a lot of years, all the social science research we have around what activates commitment and taking a snapshot of what's happening in the market at this moment so that we can overcome and dispel some myths and we can help leaders and business owners focus on the right things to find and keep devoted employees. I know that you created a scorecard in Employalty and that allows people at work, the bosses there, to examine their own internal culture. Can you walk us through that framework at a high level and what that reveals to someone as they're like really introspective about their team and what's happening in their workplace? Absolutely. And I'll give you the, the whole scorecard at once so that we can kind of talk about it as, as an entire uh, diagnostic tool. We analyzed more than 200 research studies and articles on why employees quit a job or take a new one or decide to stay long-term with an organization. And we identified three core employee experiences that when workers experience them consistently, lead them to join, stay, care, and try. Those three factors are what we call ideal job, meaningful work, and great boss. Now, each of these factors have dimensions to them. And we illustrate this in the book <clears throat> as a Venn diagram, right? A very exciting Venn diagram, right? Run out and buy the book. It's very exciting. But the first factor is ideal job. And that's about how my job fits into my life. And specifically, the dimensions are compensation, workload, and flexibility. If as an employee, my compensation is right, my workload is right, and I enjoy some flexibility around where and when and how I work, my loyalty goes up and my commitment goes up. The second factor is meaningful work. And this is made up of the dimensions of purpose, strengths, and belonging. So if I believe my work matters, if the work I do aligns with my unique talents and gifts, and I am a celebrated and included member of the team, I'm going to stay and I'm going to try. And then that third factor is great boss. And you know, Lauren, there are dozens of things that leaders have to get right before someone's going to point to them and say, man, you're a great boss. Sure. But we think the three most important are probably trust, coaching, and advocacy. So does my boss grant me trust and have they earned my trust? Do they coach me? Do they mind me for ideas and insight and perspective? And do they advocate on my behalf and act in my best interests? So all three of these factors come together to create a kind of internal psychological scorecard. And we make the argument that every study you've ever encountered about why somebody quits or stays, every story you've ever heard from somebody you know about why they were unhappy at work or took a job, and everything you're hearing in the media right now about the great resignation and what employees want, they all come back to some aspect of three, these three factors of ideal job, meaningful work, and great boss. You know, the things that you're talking about there, trust, loyalty, advocacy, they're also the tenets of what make great fans. And, you know, on the Brand of Fan Show, 
we've been unpacking that. We've been unpacking how marketing leaders, how business leaders, how entrepreneurs like myself can kind of reverse engineer fandom to, you know, create more fans, not just followers. So if we flip this in and put it on the internal side, you could say that the follower is the person who shows up relatively within their 40 hours of expected work or whatever is expected. They punch the clock, they punch out, but they're not super engaged. And I liked what you said there about they're willing to, if you can get to these kind of three variables, they're willing to join and stay and care and try. And I think we're going to come back to that a couple more times, but I feel like that's a really interesting parallel to um, a fan of a brand who's not necessarily been internal, like you and I have never worked for Disney, but the fandom that we have and the experiences that we've had with that also create that join, stay, care, and we're going to continue to try that out and try new experiences with them, right? So I see so many parallels between the internal needs of how to build fans internally and then externally how to do that. Now, I said at the top of the show, I'm convinced that the stories that are told from the inside out really do impact that. Um, you know, where do you see a connection between loyal employees and a nurturing of brand fans? Well, when you have employees who consistently have the experience of ideal job, meaningful work, and great boss, every, every metric that you care about in your organization is positively impacted. Things like revenue, things like customer experience, things like reputation, right? If I'm engaging with the, the workers or the staff of any brand, and it's clear that they love what they do and who they do it for and what their mission is all about, that creates fandom both internally and externally. So we say in the book that people generally do a great job when they believe they have a great job. Mm-hmm. So if you want to convert your employees into raving fans of your brand, you really have to be able to answer the question, what would make this place the very best place to be a blank? And whoever it is that you're hiring gets to fill in that blank. If you run a plumbing company, what would make this place the very best place to be a plumber or to be a flight attendant or to be a a waiter, right? Just looking at it through the lens of that employee experience, it forces you to go out and look at what other people are doing. It forces you to look at the story of what your current employees are already experiencing. And it forces you to turn the mirror inward on yourself to say, what do we need to create here that would lead people to say this? And that's really, I think, the connective tissue between fandom, right? Is if we want to create raving fans around our brands, around our experiences, we have to figure out what would make their interaction with our brand the very best that it possibly can be. And what ends up happening when you give employees their ideal job doing meaningful work for a great boss is they sort of recognize pretty quickly that they've hit the lottery. Because for a lot of employees, they don't get that whole complement of experiences. Mm -hmm. But if I'm a worker somewhere and I get to look around and say, wow, my money's right, the workload's right, I've got some flexibility, this work matters, I'm doing work that's fulfilling, aligns with my strengths, I like the people I'm working with, I've got a great boss, they go, let's go, I want to do this, I want to be a part of this, I'm going to put forth my effort. And they then become your best recruiters. I get asked a lot, how do you demonstrate to uh, potential applicants that you're getting these things right? Ideal job, meaningful work, great boss. Well, the best way to do it is with your people. They're going to go out and start talking about, as an employee at this place, I I am well taken care of. I'm treated with respect. 
I have a great job. You should come work here too. You're listening to Brand to Fan with Lauren Teague. More after this. Getting video from your phone into socials just isn't as easy as we'd like it to be. That's why I've started to use Pictory.ai. It's a powerful AI technology that allows you to create and edit and brand and share incredible videos that start either with the text of a copy that you have or video from your phone or out of Zoom. I use Pictory.ai to create all of the shareable social media videos for the Brand Fan Show. I totally recommend that you try it out. And I've got a special link for you to do so. Go to lauren.click slash make a video and create your first shareable video on Pictory.ai. That link is lauren.click slash make a video. Now back to Brand to Fan. Here's Lauren Teague. Yeah, I think that's one of the the interesting things is I've worked with clients over the past eight years or so, especially on this idea of employee advocacy. You know, it was less about have your employees repost this thing that you've shared, right? At the PGA Tour, it might have been the TV times and when something's on or who's sponsoring a tournament or internally in the company, we made this list or we do this thing or we're hiring. And instead flipping that script and saying, your employees need to lead. And what we're actually needing to teach employees is how to tell those stories, maybe going from one-to-one, like over the bar to, you know, like happy hour to how do we turn that story into a LinkedIn post or a TikTok video or that kind of thing and asking employers uh, and the brands to, to not rely on their own content, but instead empower their employees to tell those stories. And I think that when the organizations can make that shift kind of mentally and, and the marketing teams are comfortable leading, you know, I, I truly think that that is a, how LinkedIn kind of transformed some of their, their place in the market when they started showing, this is what your employees are saying. And here's how you can go and respond. And here's how you can amplify those as the brand. I think that that is kind of a really important part because as you're saying, if someone feels like they have the great job, then they're going to not only want to do that job, but they're going to want to have other people that they care about come and join them in that role. And it's and in a lot of cases, if we're getting it right, it's organic. You know, the the, the story has shifted for so many years. We we know that people have been telling us, I'm burned out, I'm exhausted, I'm tired. I'm tired of the way work has taken over my life. I'm tired of not making it to my kids' soccer games. I'm tired of having to come home from work and crack the laptop after dinner just to stay unburied from the deluge of emails, while at the same time having to be the primary caregiver to an elderly parent and take care of everything inside of the house and just do all of the things that life demands outside of work in more complex ways perhaps than ever before. And so what ends up happening when the pandemic arrives is this kind of massive recalibration around how work fits into our lives. There's a a values reshuffling. For some folks, they were able to work from home a little bit more and they were able to look around and say, wow, I, I have a little bit more time back in my schedule. I'm eating healthier. I like this better. This My job took over my life in a way that I didn't even fully appreciate before. And now I'm able to see where some tweaks around how and when and where I work could really benefit my quality of life. And so this is the story that we're seeing in the labor market right now, which is that people aren't quitting, they're switching. And more specifically, they're upgrading and they're upgrading in pursuit of better quality of life. And because we live our lives online, 
whenever somebody goes through that transition and they land in a role and they see that their quality of life is enhanced in a lot of ways because of their employer's commitment to a more humane employee experience, they're going to tell that story online in ways that are organic. They're going to talk about how much happier and better their life is. They're going to be the first people to share when there's an opening. Hey, we need good people. This is a great place to work. Come join me here. And that's really where you gain a competitive advantage as an employer. On the flip side, do you notice or, you know, I'm remembering my time when I got my quote unquote dream job, right? And mm-hmm. and so when I joined the PGA Tour, I was young. I had worked for a couple companies and I had truly been working since I was 16 or so. Uh, but when I went to the PGA Tour, it might have ticked some of those boxes on, am I doing meaningful work? And is this important to me? And it's my dream job. But that quickly changed, right? That scorecard is fluid. It's not like, oh, once we get it, we're here. It's continuing to change. So for me personally, I took a job that was not predefined. And in all of the roles and in all of the companies that I've worked for before working for myself, I've always had to build a job from, this is what we think it should be. You build it. Now, I didn't realize that was an entrepreneurial like pursuit mm-hmm. in someone else's company until now looking back to do that. But when I was having to do those roles, probably because they weren't predefined, I went from like, okay, boss to bad boss to bad boss to like someone looked out for me then someone mm-hmm. else looked out for me. Then I was able to negotiate and kind of get into a position where I, where I really was able to thrive. But over the course of seven years, you know, that scorecard never panned out the same. Not only were things changing professionally for me and in my industry, but personally, I went from joining the PGA Tour at 23 to finding someone that I fell in love with and we got married and then we, you know, and then I had a child. And so all of those things changed. So the scorecard continues to change. And what I was thinking about was when things were bad, I wasn't telling the stories. I wasn't doing that online or I was kind of putting on a false front potentially to do that. So when you're thinking about that, like what do people need to also watch for that's not happening, that signals discomfort, that signals this isn't a great fit across all the board? Yeah. So you hit the nail on the head. When we write about this in the book and we illustrate the Venn diagram, we actually use a couple of examples where one of those circles in the Venn diagram is going to be disproportionately larger than the other two, depending on where you're at in, in, in your stage of life. We actually tell the story in the book uh, of a woman who was the activities director at a assisted living facility. And when she took that role, what was most important to her was meaningful work. She felt like this was her calling and she actually was not bothered by her compensation, for example, really not being spectacular. She wasn't bothered as much by not having a lot of flexibility and having a pretty significant workload. She got into that role and she was getting all of this meaning from the work. It had a lot of purpose. She loved the team she was working with. She also was doing work that directly aligned with her strengths. But her boss was terrible. And we write this whole story about how it was this person's direct supervisor that really ended up pushing her out the door. And if you look at her her scorecard, she had all the boxes checked for meaningful work, but nowhere else. What ended up happening is she went to a new place with a great boss and meaningful work and a little bit better compensation. And so now we're checking nearly all the boxes on that internal scorecard. But what happens next? She gets married and she has a child. 
And now this ideal job factor begins to take a more outsized level of influence on how she's feeling about how work fits into her life in a way that it didn't before. And so the question becomes, can that employer adapt to meet her needs? Can the role she's in adapt to meet her needs? Or does she need to consider a different move? I think one of the things that a lot of employers struggle with is the belief that we should be able to retain our top talent forever. And it's just not that way anymore. Sometimes the best way to retain a key employee is to let them go out and try something else for a while. They're going to figure out that the grass isn't always greener and they may boomerang. They may come back and say, you know, I really didn't appreciate how how good I had it here, how many of the things that were in place that I took for granted. And we're actually seeing some of that in the market right now too. So you're right. People's station in life and their stage of life influences who they are and what they want. At 46 years old, what's important to me now in my job is vastly different than it was at 26. And I'm sure you'd say the same. Uh-huh. A hundred percent. And now right. I'm in a seat where, you know, I am a small business owner of maybe a couple of businesses, uh, surprise entrepreneurial mindset. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking about, you know, how do I keep the team that I have, a small team and and we all, you know, I have a team on my marketing side. They're all women. They're all moms. It's a very, we have curated like a very specific group of people who do want to do this meaningful work, do want to contribute, but also that I think that outsized balance is the, um, you know, the quality of life, right? I, I need to be able to, to take a day off to make food for my teachers, my kids' teachers before conferences, yep. you know, like that is actually a, a huge priority for Carrie on my team. Another person on my team, she fought and battled cancer last year, right? So this is her kind of her first entry back into the work world. And so what she needs and what her family needs from her is, is wildly different. Um, and so I built a team on that side that looks and feels, you know, we all are aligned on purpose and, and those things. And then on, as I'm thinking about building a new team and who I need and what roles, but really who those ideal people are, I think it's really important for me to keep employalty at the forefront, right? And the head of people and culture is like one, two, three, four, like four or five on my list, right? Once yeah. I get three people, I want culture and I want it from the ground up because I'm going to give them the book. I'm going to give them, you know, access to people like you to say, help me build this, like, let's do the best we can at the start to do that. However, we know, I was just reading a poll from Opinion, and 92% of small business owners have experienced mental health problems over the last couple of years as well. How do business leaders address burnout, especially small and medium-sized businesses, when they're susceptible to burnout? No one is immune from this. Right, right. You almost have to work to apply this scorecard to yourself and figure out where, are, where am I finding success and then where are my gaps? So I can sit here and tell you that in the past month, I have done a whole host of TV and radio interviews about the four-day work week and about all of the uh, the positive outcomes that seem to appear in the trials and pilot programs that have been taking place all over the globe for the past 10 to 15 years. But in a million years, I don't imagine that I would do a four-day work week because like, I'm running my business and I love to work. But like, where's that boundary for me? Am I really not walking my talk and, and you know taking my own medicine, so to speak? I have to look at my personal scorecard and say, my workload is out of control. I am doing too much. 
I don't have as much flexibility because the workload is impacting the amount of time I have to spend at work. I'm not playing to my strengths all the time on that meaningful work scorecard because I'm doing other things that require my attention because I haven't maybe hired the right person to take them off my plate. So you're absolutely right. We have to sort of look at it through that lens. And as you build a company, Lauren, and as you think about if I'm a business owner or I'm trying to get people on my team, what we have to recognize is that there is not just a competitive advantage to prioritizing the employee experience, but if we're not doing that, we're actually putting our organizations at a disadvantage. We will not retain talent. We will not get people who are giving it all they've got at work. The argument that we should focus on things like ideal job and meaningful work and great boss, it sounds squishy, right? Create a more humane employee experience sounds soft. But every metric you care about goes up when you actually get good at these things with your employees. And so this is a business imperative. And it's a sort of adapt or die moment at a time when there are quite simply way more jobs than there are people to do them in the economy. And this is one of the the big ideas that we've talked about in the book, which is that the the era of trying to hire the best person for the job is over. What we have to do now is create the best job for the person. And those moms on your team that you're talking about who require that flexibility to attend to their PTO obligations or be able to bounce out of work to get a sick kid out of school, that's the new normal. That's the way that that work needs to fit into our lives for people. And so at a time when unemployment is at record lows, and we have uh, shortages in every imaginable industry category where people are trying to fill positions, we have to recognize that the mindset we have to adopt is not that there is a staffing shortage, it's that there's a great job shortage, right? I need to turn, turn and look in the mirror at myself and say, what would make my roles more appealing to be a part of than anybody else's? And then you start fixing the kind of problems that, that lead to people joining. Yeah. Wow. There's so much. I'm like, I'm taking all my notes for the TLBL and I'm just, uh, I could do a whole podcast and just all the takeaways <laughs> of what we're talking about. Can you share, is there an example either from the book or, or that you found since writing that and it's gone to print of a company that is successful or a, a boss that is successful in creating this culture of loyalty and commitment? And maybe even if you can tie it to passionate and engaged customers like and that outcome. One of the earliest stories I found for the book and one of my favorite is actually the opening of the book. Uh, I found this company in Tulsa, Oklahoma called Oklahoma LED, and they refurbish the electrical lighting in buildings to move from traditional lighting fixtures to LED. And the business owner who, who launched this company... Earlier in his life, he was a laborer. You know, he worked in 108 degree weather and he had to travel away from his family to do this work. And so he came into building his business knowing that how he treated his employees could give him a competitive advantage, not just in terms of getting people to join and stay, but in terms of people deploying their maximum effort in service to what he was trying to build. So he talked right away about. We do everything we possibly can to make these people think, man, they treat me great here. I would never want to go anywhere else. And he says, whether that's four-day work weeks, which they get, whether that's a paid vacation dime and, and the expectation that they take a vacation and a whole bunch of company swag and really just making sure that they feel loved and respected and supported, 
But then he will tell you in the very next breath, it's not an altruistic thing, right? It, there, he said, there's some greed involved. I want people to join this organization and stay and make us the best that there can be. There's a reciprocity to that relationship. It feels transactional at first, right? I'm going to give you all these great experiences and I expect you to give it all we've got. But it becomes transformational for both parties. It becomes transformational for the employee and for the organization. And the result for him was that in his first three years of business, he landed on Inc. Magazine's top 500 fastest growing companies in America as a result of focusing on employee experience. And when you look at what he did, it lines up perfectly with that ideal job, meaningful work, and great boss scorecard. That's so cool. That is so cool. And what a great story to say, like, okay, now you can do this. And if you invest in it in the first three years of your business, you can start to see tangible returns almost immediately because you're doing that. I hit my boss bottle, my boss better water bottle. So I almost just knocked it off my desk, but I saved it because it's so large and has a nice handle. Um, that was excellent product placement, by the was, way. That it was, was good. subtle. Well boss done. better yeah. water bottle. Yeah. But you know, the fun thing about it though, Lauren, is when we wrote this book, we intentionally avoided trying to talk about huge companies. Right. I can tell you a whole lot of things that Microsoft are doing that aligns with our scorecard. I can tell you a lot of things that Southwest is doing and that Patagonia is doing to align with our scorecard, but their stories get told. So we specifically sought out small and mid-sized businesses. So we have stories in the book about the, the LED company. We have a story in the book about a small hospital in Western Kentucky. We have a story in the book about a restaurant in a, in a long-term care facility. These are the places who are struggling the most to attract mm -hmm. and retain people. And so putting their, putting their circumstances in the context of those stories allows them to actually see how they bring some of these things to life. You're listening to Brand to Fan with Lauren Teague. More after this. As you're out in the world listening to the Brand to Fan show, look up and start to count the number of team hats, t-shirts, pullovers, and jerseys you see. Once you start to see them, sports logos and team colors are seemingly everywhere. Well, this is exactly why I decided to build FanWagon, the web's re-commerce marketplace for buying, discovering, and reselling your sports fanware, be it vintage or just last season's jersey. FanWagon aims to serve both buyers and sellers at the intersection of sustainability and fandom and create a personalized and easy experience for second fan fashion. I'd love for you to go check it out today at F-A-N-W-A-G-N. Dot com. That's fanwagon.com. I'll see you there. Now back to brand to fan. Here's Lauren Teague. And it also shows that this isn't limited to one industry, right? You have a healthcare background. You've spent a lot of time both in your own career and in your consulting working with healthcare companies, but mm -hmm. this isn't a thing that is just limited to one thing. So I really appreciate how you've made a purposeful choice to, to tell the stories of the small and mid-sized businesses that, as you said, their stories don't get told because no industry is really immune to the great job shortage, right? Right. Well, and and there's a little bit of a, a kind of a convoluted conversation happening right now, which is this idea of what the great resignation is and isn't. And what about the layoffs that we're hearing about? And what about the impending recession that you've been told for two and a half years is coming, but still isn't here yet? And here's what we know, Lauren, this idea of the great resignation that everybody is quitting, that's only half the movie, 
What we know is that there's way more hiring going on in nearly every industry category than there is quitting. And so what people really are doing is they're switching. They're upgrading for better quality of life. And this didn't start after the pandemic. We can look at the jobs data and see that in every year since 2009, more people have voluntarily left their job in the year before. And in fact, the number of people who have voluntarily quit their job in the last 10 years has more than doubled in the United States. So the interesting thing that's happening is that the labor market is hotter than ever before, right? We have more than 10 million open jobs here in the United States. We're adding between a quarter and a million and half a million jobs to the economy every single month, right? We're adding 16,000 jobs a day to the economy at, at a time when people are looking for that upgrade, which is why I say there's no staffing shortage. There is a great job shortage. And what's interesting is we're at this moment where now we're starting to hear about layoffs. But if you're paying attention, the layoffs are only happening in giant tech, media, and e-commerce companies who overhired a little bit in 2021 as we opened back up so quickly. So they're making a small correction to get back down. But in nearly every other industry category, Hiring is way above where it has been. There are more open positions than there ever have been before, and there are fewer workers to fill them. So what we're living in right now, in terms of the great upgrade, it's not an event, it's an era. And the organization, it's expected to continue as we continue adding jobs to the economy, as we continue to have folks retire, as, as the younger generation is actually a smaller group of people coming in. And so the organizations who are going to have the most success at attracting and retaining talent are those organizations who are most bold about innovating what work looks like. Is it a five-day work week? Is it 40 hours a week? Is it nine to five? Is it pay scales that tend to be a little bit lower than maybe they should be for some people in the bottom half of the socioeconomic ladder? All of those things bake into the pie to determine whether or not you're becoming a destination workplace in this new age of work. Yeah, I was hearing just the other day on NPR, you know, we're hearing like new jobs added and lots of people in the workplace. We're still some 3 million jobs below the pre-2020 numbers, right? And so there's still a lot of jobs to be made up, even if some industry and those large companies are course correcting a small amount. So it's just sticking with that. It's the great upgrade and it's a great job shortage really puts it back on, you know, the entrepreneurs, the people who are even coming out of the workforce to go work for themselves in some sort of gig or freelance or something capacity. You're still a small business, even if it's just a small business of one. And that scorecard, I, I imagine, is just as important if you're reflecting on that to say, okay, by not going to work for, you know, the mid-sized company in the next town over, you know, am I still getting all of these things fulfilled? And one of the biggest missteps that a business owner or a team leader of any size can make is to decide that the problem is people or that the problem is work ethic, right? We hear a lot of folks say, well, no one wants to work. And it turns out that that is one of the most biased, tired generational tropes really in human history. We, we found a researcher when we were writing the book who found instances of this sentiment showing up in newspapers in North America going back 120 years. We really want this to be the story. When we can't find people to join our organization, we say no one wants to work. When the truth is, no, they just don't want to work for you. And so we have to figure out what is it about my organization, my positions, uh, my work that is unappealing, and how do I engineer this in such a way where I can attract talent? The other part of this, Lauren, is you can 
tell business owners until you're blue in the face that you need to create a, a person's ideal job, meaningful work, and great boss. And you can give them this scorecard and you can say, go back to your offices, to your businesses, and engineer these conditions for your workforce. But nothing is going to change until your core belief system changes. And that is that the absence of ideal job, meaningful work, and great boss is inhumane. You have to come to believe that underpaying people and overworking people and having them not experience belonging and having them experience a bad boss, that these things are a violation. Only when that core belief system changes, do you then start moving toward engineering the kind of employee experience that really is more humane and does stop treating people like a commodity and starts treating them like fully formed human beings. Yeah, we talked a lot about brand values and the authenticity of that um, with Ron Tite just a few episodes ago. Mm -hmm. Your brand values are not, you know, performative. They really can't be. And if if you're not walking that walk internally as well as externally, um, then that puts that at risk. I'm wondering a little bit about how businesses can measure the impact of their loyal and committed workforce on overall success and, and particularly customer relationships. Is there any specific metrics or indicators, Joe, that brands can be tracking that show like X ex from externally show the success of what's happening internally? Well, I think one of the, the, the key recurring events that we see in organizations who are getting employee experience, right? Separate from retention and turnover metrics, which would be the most important thing to watch if you're thinking about employee experience. But on top of that is what is the frequency of your customers? citing their interactions with the people that they're engaging with in your organization. Do they name drop? I was, I'm shopping for a car, for example, and I'm looking for a very specific vehicle. And there's a very good chance that I'm going to have to buy this online from out of state. And so I've been bouncing around at some different websites. And I have noticed as I've read reviews that the, the dealerships that have the highest ratings are the ones where people describe my interaction with Jimmy or Miss Thelma, mm -hmm. or Adolfo was amazing to work with. And so I'm asking an organization, are you hearing about the extraordinary experiences that your employees are creating for your customers because you're creating extraordinary experiences for them? That's really cool. That is so cool. It, it goes back to, again, the premise of this is stories are built from the inside out. So if you're creating great employee experience, then it's going to it's going to manifest in the stories and the reviews and the things that people are saying about your company because it's about the people. And I think that's what employability really is, right? It's about the people and creating that scorecard for each individual person and, and helping them create the right job for themselves. It's really nice. And recognizing that we probably have reached a place where we need to rethink what work looks like. And that we've spent a lot of years where, you know, the the transaction of employment for loyalty, one side's been getting hosed for years, right? That people have been underpaid, they've been overworked, that, that their jobs have taken over their lives in a way that doesn't work for them anymore. And so if we can right that ship a little bit and we can innovate for folks and reimagine how work fits into people's lives, boy, we really create a, a, an open door for some really talented people to walk through. We're living in the the biggest period of worker free agency, perhaps ever. And if we know that so many talented, experienced, dedicated people out there are looking for an upgrade, it means every employer on the planet can upgrade too. 
You just have to decide to be the upgrade. You have to decide, I don't want to be a departure organization. I want to be a destination workplace. And so I come back to that question that I threw out earlier, which is what would make this place the very best place to Mm -hmm. be X? I'm just going to stop right there because I I don't know that we can build upon that. That is such a great takeaway for anyone who is running a team, a team of one, a team of a few, a team of many. Uh, running a business is is thinking about that. What makes this the right job for for X? So there is one question that I ask everybody on the Brand Fan Show, and you are a Pittsburgh guy, and you were born and raised. So I'm I'm very curious. You know, I I actually came to visit you in Pittsburgh um, mm-hmm. at the end of last year, and I went to a Pens game because I mm-hmm. just happened to get to my hotel while the game was still in the first period. I mapped it. I said, oh, it's like a a mile away. I can totally do that in heels. And (laughs) I I went to a game. I walked all three levels of the concourse. I sat down for the third period in the the eventual overtime. I bought a black and yellow shirt. And it's so clear to me that Pittsburgh is a fan town, right? It's There's something embodied in the culture there. All that to say, really curious. Is there a favorite jersey or piece of mm. fanware that's either in your closet today or you miss from when it was? Ah, uh, so so many ways I could answer this. One of the unique things you probably know this because you're pretty plugged into the world of sports is that Pittsburgh is the only major sports market in the U.S. where all of their major league teams have the same color scheme. Right? It's all that's black true. and gold. And so, yeah, there's a lot of black and gold in our closets. And um, I'm a huge Sidney Crosby fan. And so I, I, having, I have two of his jerseys, one from his um, his second year when he was the assistant captain. And I have a newer jersey now that's pretty special. But the first thing that popped into my mind when you asked this question were these two tiny Troy Palomalu jerseys that I bought years ago when my kids were little. And they were just old enough to kind of walk around on their own. And it was right sort of at the tail end of Troy Palomalu's career. And I wandered into a local sports store and they had their sizes and, you know, jerseys are expensive and these were on sale. It was, And so I felt like I was getting a huge deal. And so I have these pictures in my head of my two oldest kids when they were tiny running around in their matching Troy Palomalu jerseys. They don't fit anymore. They can't wear them anymore. Um, they're a, a perfect candidate for the kind of fan wagon work that you're doing. And, and I should be sending them your way to get them up. But um, that's a, a special memory that I will cherish for a long time. That is an incredible story. It's it's really funny because I was just reflecting on um, and actually pulling out and putting on the size 2T master's polos from my time at the PGA Tour. That obviously nice. my five-year-old, uh, who's the youngest, does not fit into. Um, but I still have them, partly because of the, you know, the memories and kind of that nostalgia of just that time in in our family's lives. Uh, but also because who in Oregon wants a master's polo to fit in Steve Origin story for fan wagon? So yes. Joe, it has been such a pleasure to have you today on the Brand of Fan Show. I'm so excited for your book. And loyalty. Before you get one last plug at it, I'm going to take my turn at what we've called on this show the TLDL. This is the too long, didn't listen moment. So if you have fast forward your way through the episode, stop right here. This is the point that you want. Joe Mole spent over 20 years creating and exploring the conditions at work where people can thrive. And that led him to write this new book, Employalty. You have identified three core experiences that make up this scorecard. They are ideal job, meaningful work, and great boss. And when a company can hit on all of those 
pieces of the scorecard. It means that your employees join, <laughs> stay, care, and try. And what you've narrowed this down to is that you said that people do a great job when they feel like they have a great job. But the flip side of that is instead of trying to hire the best possible person for a job, employers must now have to actually create the best job for the person in their organization. What I really took away as an entrepreneur is that we actually have to apply the scorecard to ourselves to really understand where our own priorities lie, ensure our company is being built in that way, and also for entrepreneurs to make sure that we're playing to our own strengths, right? And maximizing what we can do to benefit the organization. Because as the leader, no one else is going to step into those shoes, um, maybe not willingly. And then at the end here, we talked a little bit about prioritizing creating an environment where people can thrive. Because if you don't, you're losing where you can create an advantage. So rather than contributing to the great job shortage, think of this time as the great upgrade where employees aren't just quitting, they're upgrading their careers, which means that we all have to rethink what work looks like and instead try to make work work for everyone. So there we go. Wow. That's, that's the quick recap. That's pretty great. You nailed it. Well done, my friend. Thank you. Like I said, I, I have so many great takeaways. I even couldn't read them all uh, back at you. Um, so many great takeaways. So we'll put them back into the show notes for this episode. Joe, tell us a little bit about Employalty, where to get it, where it, when it comes out, all that good stuff. Thank you so much, Lauren. So you can order the book really anywhere you like to order books. It's certainly available on Amazon. It's on Barnes & Noble. It's at Target. If you want to support your local independent bookstore, you can go to IndieBound.org and you can source a copy or several from your local bookstore. And we love supporting local independent bookstores. Uh, if you're looking for me, you can find me online at joemull.com. All right. We'll put all that into the show notes. I did actually pre-order my book after uh, we worked together a little bit earlier. And I do order my books through my local bookstore, the mm -hmm. Book Nook here in Canby, uh, to support them. And okay. uh, it always gives me a great reason to pop in there and support a local business. Well, I am Lauren Teague. And my guest today was Joe Mole. And this is the Brand of Fan Show, where we unpack the phenomenon of fandom. If you like this episode, please, please, please share it with someone else. Um, share it with someone who needs to hear it. Maybe your boss. And uh, we will talk to you next time. Thanks again for tuning into this episode of the Brand of Fan Show. I'm your host, Lauren Teague, marketing speaker, strategist, and the founder of FanWagon. You know, it means a lot to me to spend this time with you. So if you like what you're hearing, I'd love if you could drop me a note at brandtofan at teaguefc.com or message me on Instagram where I'm also teaguefc. If these brand of fan conversations resonate with you and you'd like to share this message with your audience, go to laurenteague.com to find out how I guide businesses and associations to stop chasing shiny objects and instead build for lasting affinity. The Brand Fan Show is produced by Teague FC and supported by FanWagon. Audio production is done by Brian Griggs and video editing done by Garrett Teague. Our producers are Kimberly Voorhees, Ashley Ruiz, and Carrie Hellbush. You can catch up on past episodes and guests and access bonus content by visiting brandtofan.show. Mm -hmm.